open your bible may i ask uh, would you stand with me to give reverence to god's word when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left verse 34 then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world verse 35 for i was hungry you gave me something to eat i was thirsty and you gave me something to drink i was a stranger and you invited me in i needed clothes and you clothed me i was sick and you looked after me i was in prison you came to visit me then the righteous will answer him lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you when did we see you sick or in prison and and go to visit you verse 40 the king will reply i tell you the truth whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine you did for me let me read that again the king will reply i tell you the truth whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine you did for me then the next to the contrast and verse 45 i'm not going to read it he will reply I tell you the truth whatever you did not do for the one of the least of these you did not do for me then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life father we thank you for your son jesus christ whom we have this salvation eternal hope and ministry to one another a ministry of reconciliation speak to us and we promise to give you honor praise and glory to you alone in jesus name we pray please be seated so from this context to you understand uh, the least of these jesus concern for the least of these who are the least of these today's context not going back to jesus timing the uh, the jewish people or anything the context those who are the weak the marginalized the poor the sick those who are in prison those who are struggling for a meal they are the least around us do we have a concern for them jesus said jesus said listen when you do this to them you are doing it to me you are serving me very clear we must know that that must motivate us when we do it to the sick and the marginalized the poor they may not appreciate they may not thank you but you are doing it to jesus that will motivate you many times people want appreciate they're not uh, they may not even see what you do it but jesus your lord your savior see it 
and uh, he will give you reward. If you don't do it, punishment, we understand from that context. And uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, my favorite chapter in that book, Ephesians, Christ saved us. We were one time in darkness without uh, hope, but by the mercy of God, we are saved. We are reconciled to the Father. For what purpose? Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 says, we are redeemed, we are transformed so that we will do good works. We know good works will not save us. We will not be saved by good works, but it is the duty of the redeemed people to engage in doing good works. In the book of Titus, Titus three chapters, every chapter I think five times talk about we must be eager to do good. We, uh, we are called to do good. And so it's very important as, as, the, as children of God, our mark is to serve the Lord. God is always shown a special concern for the poor and needy, Psalm 35.10. It should come as no surprise that he expects his followers to do the same, especially toward those of the family of God, Galatians 6.10. So what is surprising about the list of these is that our service is ultimately not to the poor, but to Christ himself. Just to keep that in background. And Mike asked me to share my story, how I went through to follow Christ, the persecution, the abandon from my family. And may I share that very quickly, bullet points, then I will take you to the three points what I want to share. I grew up in South India, the state called Kerala. By the way, that is the reason I have a southern accent like some of y'all. And I hope you understand me. You understand me? And be patient and so listen carefully. Some of the words, you know, I, grew, I did not grow up here. And so some of the words, I have struggles. And uh, in that home, I was born as the firstborn. Four brothers and three sisters. Middle class home, we are farmers. Coconut trees and mango trees and rice field. Hard working family. My father grew up without a mother. His mother died when he was six years old. His, his father did not remarry. So dad had to do the hard work along with his siblings. Dad became a tough man and very tough and rough man. He got married, my mother, a feeble woman, wonderful woman. She did not know the Lord. She wanted to know God. She was very religious. And my dad became very violent alcoholic. Growing up, I saw my mother was persecuted and beaten in my home. I saw that. And all of us, the children, are two years apart except the last one. And Satan confused the family. If there is no God in your life, some force will take you, be in charge. That is the way, the reality of life. And Satan confused my family. Satan roared in my home. We did not know that. My mother became mentally depressed. My mother became a mental patient. As the oldest child, I would go to the mental hospital and see my mother. I have so many memories as the oldest child. And one night, my mother got up. Okay, I was 14 years old, 15 years old. And middle of the night, I remember we, that day we had a wonderful dinner. We all slept. But mother got up by the, by the, force, of, force, of, force, of the force of the evil. And she got up from... From the, house, from the bedroom, daddy was there, dad didn't recognize, and um, she climbed the trees, she climbed the big rocks, jumped down, 
and uh, so many crazy things. And uh, she wanted to jump into her family well. And then somebody told her, don't do it tomorrow. Your children need to draw water. She, and she did not do that. Then she went to the kitchen, took a knife. And you're talking about early morning, 2 o'clock. And, and then she ran into the forest area with a lot of cashew trees. Under that cashew tree, she began to cut her throat little by little. So 4 o'clock, dad couldn't find his wife. He call, dad called me and uh, with a small lamp went around. We had no electricity that time. I'm talking about a 50, uh, 40 years ago story. And um, went around calling, Mom, where are you? And uh, finally heard a small voice. And I went to the cashew tree area. I saw mother uh, on the ground and blood was coming from her neck, throat. And if she had a little more cut, Mother would have been gone. We would have been uh, um, living without uh, mother. But God saved, spared uh, my mother's life. And uh, my, I went, ran to my dad's brother's house. He came and um, we had, there was no car in that village. That area. He had to um, run uh, five, six kilometers, found one car from a wealthy family, took my mother to the hospital. But the point is God spared her life for us. Then my sister was demon-possessed. And uh, I, I don't have time to explain all this, but I tell you, we went to temples and churches and sacrificed chickens and so many things. We did it, and, uh, but no hope. I was third, uh, 20 years old at a Catholic college doing my BA in business. And uh, the second year, I happened to live in a dormitory away from my home, in between the college and my home, at a uh, like a like a uh, motel and with my friends it's amazing how god orchestrated when i was living there two poor missionaries they never passed high school but they god changed them they went to a bible college finished their certificate in theology and they came to my room and shared the gospel first time i am hearing the gospel and they read it john 3:16 i never forgotten that and um, I rejected by my arrogance and pride. I said, please, go. Don't bother me. I'm here for the final year examination. And they left. But second year they came. So second day they came. And they opened again, John 3.16, shared God's love. I said, please, don't bother me. But they would pray for me. Third day they came. Even though I rejected, they came. Fourth day they came. Same time, around 6 o'clock, evening they came. And fifth day they came. When they came on the fifth day, God did some work in my life because until that time, nobody cared, my, cared about my family. Nobody, none of my family members because they are afraid to come to my house because of my dad. No neighbors coming to our home. And my friends in the college did not, did not understand the pain I was going through it. But these brothers, two young brothers, and touched me because they are loving me and sharing. But again, out of ignorance and uh, arrogance, I didn't want to tell them hey, I want a prayer. But when they came on the sixth day, I want to tell you, I knelt down in that small room where I was living. I said, would you pray? Would you put your hands upon me and pray for me? They asked me to pray a simple prayer. Simple prayer. Jesus, forgive my sin. Come into my life. I'm a sinner. Today onwards, I want to live for you. With the tears, it was a genuine cry from my heart. When I prayed that prayer, I tell you, I want you to listen, people. When I prayed that simple prayer, something, a burden taken away from my life. 
Because Christ said those who are weary and tired come to me. I will give you what? Rest for your souls. Nothing in this world can give you that, that peace, that rest. Only the creator God can give you it. And I began to experience the love of God since then. When I followed Christ in baptism, my father found out this newfound faith. He came to my room and he was holding a knife. The next day after my baptism, 8.30 in the morning, daddy was in front of my dormitory. And the two missionaries, they, they ran away from that place. I was alone in that room. He, my daddy grabbed me like this. And I was 20 years old. And walked five kilometers to my house from that lodge. Every step I got a beating and pushing. And I get up and push me down and beat me. Don't misunderstand my dad. Daddy did out of his ignorance. And uh, somehow came to my home. My mother my siblings were all crying. Dad, was, dad got so mad. He tied my hands and tied my legs. Began to beat me. Whole my back was covered with blood. And I will never forget the cry of my mother. My mother said, kill me. Instead of killing my son. My mother passed away last year, August 13. Yesterday, one year completed. So unexpectedly, my mother passed away. So my father passed away three years ago. And... Uh, but 4.30 that evening, daddy came out, he went out, went to the will, out, came back and looked, came to my room and untied me. And he looked at my face, he said, you are no longer my son. You destroyed this home. How will I survive in this village? Who will marry my daughters? Daddy thought I joined some untouchable group, some, some bad groups. And he thought I rebelled against his authority. That was not the case. And I was pushed out of the home. Get out, you have nothing in this house. I tell you. As I was walking out of the house, and one more time I looked to my crying mother, her face, her tears, I looked to my siblings. As I was walking out of the house, I wanted to listen to this. My heavenly daddy, my daddy who created me, he used my parents, the one who created me, spoke to me. Even if your father or mother may leave you or forsake you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. It is in the Bible. Do you know that? Yes, we are created by God for his purpose. We are not an accident. Even if you came into this world by out of wedlock, I want you to know you are here by the appointment of God. Therefore, you must be excited for every day as you live for the Lord. Amen. And uh, my spiritual journey started from there. I'm going to conclude here. You can read all in that book. I finished my BA and went to the capital of my state for masters in business. Who will support? Daddy said, you have nothing, get out, never come back. I would get up early morning, go to two houses, give a tutorial to the children, then I and will run to the college to study. But I, when I was living 60 kilometers away from my village in that city of Trivandrum, every day I would cry to God. I kneeled down, I cried to God, I struggled with God. I said, God, I am happy, but not fully satisfied until you bring everyone from my family to the faith. That was my cry for every day. 82, after two years, God gave me a bold vision to return to my village. I went to the neighbor's houses. I did not go to my house directly. Went to the neighbor's houses. These are family members. They received me, but they said, why did you bring all the troubles to your parents? I began to bring evangelists from the city to conduct as many, many crusades. 
My mother will come, my siblings will come. Father never attended. He made all kinds of problems not to have these meetings. But I tell you, as the word came to our lives, my mother raised hands, my sister raised hands, siblings raised hands, neighbors raised hands, and we found a peace in Christ. I tell you today, because of the power of the gospel, mother became a believer, God healed her. God delivered my sister from that demonic attack. God delivered her. Today she's a pastor's wife in North India. All my brothers and sisters came to Christ. Today most of us are missionaries serving Christ in various places of India. Hallelujah. If God can do, thank you. If God can do this to me, he can do it to you. I want you, don't quit praying for your family members. If you don't show that passion, intensity, who will show to your children, your grandparents, your spouse, your neighbors? Because you know them. Don't quit. It is my story. I was teaching business for many years in Trivandrum. Then when I was 26 years old, I decided and to get married and found a beautiful woman from New York. She grew up in New York. She was 21 years old. My wife, Moni, is Indian. And when she was 14 years old, immigrated to New York. Now after seven years, she returned to India with the parents, looking for a handsome, tall young man. <laughs> and finally, they found me. We got married. And my dating time, hardly 30 minutes. That's all I got it. 30 minutes only, they allowed me to, Indian culture arranged marriage. But not, for, not, not forcing anybody. If you like each other, you tell the parents. So I liked money and... Uh, Finally, within a month, we got married, and I sent her back to her studies, continue her studies in New York. After two years, I arrived in New York. I arrived this great country from a village, went to the capital of Kerala, then I'm coming to a great city. Amazing, it's all God. And I came to New York. I began to work in Queens Boulevard in a title research company. And I know you, are, you did some title research work. And when I was living there with my father-in-law, mother-in-law, I was not happy. I will come and tell my wife every day, I'm not happy to stay. Something was missing. God began to speak to me from a passage from 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17. Can you open that for a moment? 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17. 1 John chapter 2, 15, 17. The reason today I'm in the ministry is because of that passage. Because the word of God you can underline, you can memorize. Will you trust in the promises of God and take the first step, second step to experience the wonder, the adventure? Now that passage, I was 29 years old when God spoke to me. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You continue reading. Verse 17, like a knife penetrated into my heart. The world and its lust there will pass away. But the man or the woman who does the will of God will live forever and ever. I began to think about six months about, will I surrender my life? To the purpose of God. You can do anything in America. America is a great country. I traveled every state in America. Traveled many parts of the world. I never seen a nation like America. America is great. America is good because. Because of God. Built, God built this nation. God blessed this nation. Those who come. Immigrants come from other parts of the world. Bangladesh or Sri Lanka or India. They don't understand. When they walk into Costco or walk into Walmart. They say. Oh big. Wow. But there is a story. These people, these fathers, 
third generation fourth generation before they were all godly people even though their children grandchildren do not follow christ they they all loved the lord from that love they got all this business all these blessings and uh, but we must remember god blessed this nation but now we are walking away from god we are deliberately intentionally rebuking him ridiculing him so how do we survive as a nation so and god began to speak to me will i surrender my life for his purpose or will i surrender my life for my own ambition as you understand some of you understand asian culture i am the oldest one i have seven siblings back home i am the second parent more so much responsibility i thought one day i will bring everybody to america and help them otherwise they will tell saji went to america he was selfish he abandoned his own family i have no respect in my community i wanted to bring everybody and help then go for ministry but here this passage really really touched me broke my heart will i love him more than anything in this world my wife and i surrendered listen my wife said i live in new york i know all my cousin i'm not going it would have been tough but my wife said wherever you go i will come and with a little money 3000 dollars saving with that money journeyed to chicago to go to trinity divinity school with a plan to finish a phd teach in america i want to be in the ministry but i never thought about god will take me back to india the more i was studying the word of god at the seminary meeting these great professors and students from all over the world i was asking god why i'm here why i'm here in that inquiry god gave burden to return to india 92 i graduated returned to india 92 and 93 six months i traveled kerala to kashmir six months i saw the country i literally wept over the nation i said god i am available i don't know what to do i came back i was part of an evangelical free church in chicago i brought 12 men august 1993 godly men america so many godly people and they heard me they knew me Four years I was in Chicago, part of the church. They knew me and they listened. And in August 1993, founded this ministry, RIMI, Reaching Indians Ministries International. You saw the video. And uh, last year alone, we baptized over 7,000 people. Most of them come from Hindu backgrounds and Muslim backgrounds and few Muslims. And God is doing amazing because of so many friends, prayer partners in this great nation. So let me take you to India with three, sharing three things. Who are the least of these things? A list of these. And uh, I want to share children at risk. And then the most unreached. Then I want to give you a third, a challenge, a radical living. Mike, I don't know the time. I even didn't look at it. I'm going to do the Indian way, two-hour preaching. but thank you that's that that laughter means go ahead and do it <laughs> amen but i i will i will honor your time and i will value you and thank you okay children at risk by the way uh, as i uh, preach and please move the slides and help me thank you thank you my brothers there appreciate jesus loves children and uh, matthew 9:14 jesus said let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these some of the children uh, in india around people say around 300 to 400 million children human trafficking is a, a huge issue all over the world especially in the context of india 
approximately 600 to 800 victims are trafficked across international borders annually and between 14,500 and 17,500 of these victims are trafficked into United States each year. More than half of these victims worldwide are children. These are not my information. This is from the Department of Health and Human Services, USA, and the U.S. Department of State. The shocking numbers in my own country, the, the NGOs estimate that uh, around 12,000 to 50,000 women and children are trafficked into the country of India annu annually from neighboring states for, this, for sex tra uh, trade. Thousands of girls are trafficked from Bangladesh and Nepal. Around 200,000 Na Nepalese girls under 16 years are in prostitution in India. Just to want to share what is going on. And estimated 1,000 to 1,500 Indian children are smuggled out of the country every year to Saudi Arabia for begging during the Hajj. Uh, Jodi, age of 14, was sold and married to a 40-year-old man for $250 in order to produce a male hair. Child labor, so human trafficking, you understand, you hear all this these days in America. Um, child labor, India is sadly the home of the largest number of child laborers in the world. The census found an increase in the number of child laborers from 11.28 million, 11.28, 11 million, in 1991, to almost 13 million, one three million in 2001. Uh, MV Foundation in the state of Andhra Pradesh, south of Nagpur, where I am working, uh, found nearly 400,000 children, mostly girls, between 7 and 14 years of age, toiling, toiling for 14 to 16 hours a day in the cotton seed production across the country. You see the child labor. And uh, what are the reasons for child labor? Poverty and lack of poverty and lack of social security are the main causes of child labor. I want you to look at the next picture. Next picture. I want you to look at the eyes of that child. This is happening every state in India. Now, what is our response? When we hear these numbers, I'm overwhelmed. When we see these phases, what is our responsibility? To this least of these, what we will do to help them? 16,000 children under age of five die every day in India, UNICEF. Okay? 16,000 children under age of five die every day. Nearly half of the infant deaths are tied to malnutrition. And 45% occur during the first 28 days of life. And look at the next picture. I, I love this baby. This is my nephew, sorry, my niece. And she was abandoned. Four days old, a child was brought to the friend of of uh, our orphanage in Uttarakhand. Uttarakhand is south of Nepal. My brother is the leader there. This four-year-old girl was brought there, her mother, and left. The reason her husband doesn't want this baby girl, you understand the context of India, and uh, the, the father-in-law and mother-in-law hated this girl, hated this woman, because she delivered a baby girl. 
So, and she didn't have any place. So, because she knew about this orphanage, brought, my brother called me, because we, we have only one child. After 70 years of marriage, so much fasting and praying, crying to God, gave, God gave one child. Our daughter is Mary Ann, is 23 years old, a school teacher. I went to see a second time, a fertility doctor. And doctor asked, do you want to kill your wife or another child? I said, sir, no. So we have only one child. So we wanted to have one more child. But the problem, and my wife said, we are always traveling, and who will take care of the child? Then I asked my brother, uh, David, David, would you take care of this child? Who will support? So we are sponsoring, we are supporting this child. She's in the uh, fifth grade. Sorry, I'm very sorry. She's in the first grade. So what is our response when we see this kind of faces and hear stories? What Remy does? Four things we do to these children, at least four things. Demonstrating Christ's love, our staff and our children, and show the love of God through Bible study, memorization of Bible words. But by the, by the way, thank you for memorizing uh, the words from Hebrews. It's very, uh, very rarely I see in a service like this, um, in the Sunday service, you are doing it. It's very wonderful. It's a great thing, and it will bear much fruit. And uh, through these children, ministry to the children, my friends, we are able to connect with the grandparents or cousins or family members enter into their villages for church planting. So children are a link for us to connect to these villages. Next, uh, we provide uh, quality education. Uh, we send them to a, a public school. We don't have the resource to send them to private school. Private English medium school is very expensive in India. You have to pay almost $100, 50 to $100. And the school bus comes and takes them. We don't have the resource. But we send them to public school. Then we give extra tutorial for their subjects with their struggle. And third... We provide uh, three meal, daily meal for them, those who are in the orphanage. And then medical care. We have our own hospital. We also, where we don't have hospital, local doctors, we hire, they come and take care of the children. And uh, Rumi is changing lives. Um, we started this ministry uh, many, many years ago. I tell you the reason I started the orphanage. Now we are beyond orphanage. The reason, one of the reasons, <clears throat> God uh, really... Uh, touched me an experience. When I was exploring India, 92 and 93, I was traveling the ordinary trains. Now I'm talking 92, 93. And uh, in the trains, you have a first class, you have air condition, you have the ordinary. When I was sitting in the ordinary that time, a half-naked boy, very dirty, he came with a dirty broom, he cleaned the place where I was sitting. Yet understand, I saw this before in India growing up. But this time, touched me. He cleaned that area and with that dirty hands, he scratched my leg and looked at me and said, Sir, food, food. That broke my heart. And there I decided, Lord, whenever you help me, I wanted to help the children. Today, all this Mercy Homes and Children's Program came out because of that one experience in my life. Today, children in our orphanage are, uh, are grew up, they are leaders. They are our main accountant in Nagpur, Lala, grew up in our orphanage. I want to look at you to look at uh, the other picture. Do you have the other picture? Okay, look, Ishwari. Ishwari, Ishwari's parents died. He was, she was raised up uh, by her grandfather. Seven, eight years old, she had to go to other neighbors' houses 
and work in the kitchen, cleaning their, uh, cooking utensil and, and um, uh, brooming the, uh, the area and all that. She was doing it. When our missionaries was, was working in that village, missionary said, listen, we have orphanage. Why don't you send this grandchild to our place? And the grandfather brought this girl to our place. And we sent it to her to local uh, school. She learned in uh, Marathi. The medium she studied was Marathi. Then she said, I want to be a nurse. I said, Ishwari, why don't you go to Bible college? We like to see those who are those children in the seminary campus. They move, when they finish high school, move to our seminary. At least study one year. Then see what God is doing. Everybody wants to be engineers and doctors, but everybody cannot do it. Their background, so much money, who is going to raise all this money to send it to public college and to study all that. I said, Ishwari, why don't you go to our Bible college one year? She was moved from the orphanage to the seminary campus. She studied one year. Then she got excited. She said, I want to study BTH, Bachelor of Theology. So, and she served those Americans who came from America. And she was, these three people served them. Served them. And wonderful uh, girl. And then she said, I want to be a nurse. Now, uh, Ishwari and uh, other two, Komal and uh, um, uh, Brother Ravi, Three of them grew up in our orphanage. They are right, right now studying for B.Sc. nursing in Bangalore because of some of my friends who are partnering with them. See what a difference we can make it. And we must stand in the gap. These are the least of these that we must come alongside and give a hope. America, we are blessed. So sponsor a child $35. And I challenge you today. I challenge all of you. And whether you can support financially or not, I want to be a prayer partner. If God has blessed you, be intentional. We have to sacrifice to do good for somebody. You go out to eat. As a family, you will spend a $50, $60 as a family. But you are deciding intentionally, we are going to cook at home. We are going to do this for the sake of kingdom. We are, save, we are going to save $50 to help a child. But that is kingdom thinking, kingdom living. So I challenge you to consider. And uh, the next one, you can see the holistic ministry impact and education, medical, and uh, in, uh, introducing Jesus, and through them, community help. So that's what I want to talk about the children. Let me move very quickly, reaching the most unreached. I don't know whether many of you know, um, the northern parts of India, Christianity, Christianity is less than one percentage. And uh, southern part of India, because of the missionaries came to south, you know the tradition in my state, Kerala, the apostle Thomas, and Thomas, the disciple of Christ, AD 52, he arrived in Kerala. So therefore, St. Thomas Christians are in South India. My state, Kerala, and Tamil Nadu, Andhra Pradesh, Karnataka, these four states, more Christians. Then as you go to the further north, towards, towards Kashmir, you have less than one percentage. You go county after county, each county, two million, three million people, you don't see even one church, an evangelical church. So that is what is happening. So I want to um, give a challenge. You know these key verses, the commission of our Lord. Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. Go, go and make disciples of all ethnos, all peoples. And you all memorize that. But I want the clear church, clear water church. It's a great church. And it's a, and I mean, this, all of your excitement shows the future of this church. Be united. Do not allow the devil to distract us. Be a global church, a church impacting the world. 
you have no right to exist if you don't have the heart for mission the passion of god and um, acts chapter 1 7 to 8 we remember when the holy spirit will come upon you you will be my witnesses where in your home in jerusalem then little more difficult place people you do not know living here and, not, and this is a mainly a white community i like to see diversity here because people are here here in anchorage how do you connect it must be your burden your passion and you are intentional as you go to the stores work intentionally bringing the first generation i was telling mike it will be difficult to get a chinese person first generation or indian because they they like to be connected together by the second generation third generation i want you to think about be a diverse a global church and uh, all depends upon your vision how what do you want to do are you willing to take a risk to see other colored people in your church that is a little bit of heaven experience heaven right now while you are here i hope you would be a global church romans 10 14 to 15 uh, romans 10 14, my sister my sister would you read ardi can you read ardi i ask in india people to read the bible so that nobody will stay asleep but uh, <laughs> but nobody sleeping here but i ardi are you ready romans 10 that this powerful questions 10 14 to 15 the apostle paul asking this penetrating question how many times how 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 listen india is a closed country 1.2 plus billion people and uh, this information i recently got from a magazine i just want to read it um this is from an outreach uh, ministry from india listen a population of more than 125 crores that means 1.25 million people 4635 people groups in india 1652 languages living in 27000 27000 plus zip codes we call pin codes in india india urgently needs 200 bible translators a big number of committed missionaries to pioneer and reach 2341 unreached people groups think about my friends 2314 unreached people groups there is no gospel work another information from this 18677 pin codes regions where there are no churches or christian workers you have 27000 zip pin codes or zip codes but out of that 18677 spin codes or zip codes region no churches or christian workers ladies and gentlemen these are people living there whether they are lower caste upper caste whatever caste hindus or islam 80% of the indians are uh, hindus then 15% islam then you have buddhism sikhism jainism all kind of religion ladies and gentlemen who will reach them how will they hear the gospel that's why we need to train the national believe in the national train the nationals why nationals you know they know the culture they know the languages they are easily adaptable they don't need visa they don't need furloughs and they are very economical 200 dollar a month you can support a church planter think about 200 dollar and we don't give anybody for long term 7 to 10 years that's all we support a missionary within that time that's only 50% of the support and we don't give any medical fund or children's education or anything just rent a few meals 
but within seven to ten years, we like to see they are self-supported. And uh, so I want you to understand, how do we reach the most unreached? And uh, in America today, to send somebody uh, to Poland or Argentina or I don't know, other places, American, the stat is $75,000 you have to raise, but that can support more than 15 nationals. And um, India is a closed nation, so how do you reach them? Believe in the national, empower them. So I, I give a challenge to this church. Mike is the only, Mike and Sabrina are helping us uh, for our ministry personally. But I want as a church to clear what the church considers supporting our seminary. We saw the seminary, 200 students. The, most of the students are not a pay, pay, able to pay anything. So I raised their scholarship fund. I, I give a challenge to you, consider supporting five students. That's only $100 each. That means $500 a month, $6,000 a year commitment to support. We, we uh, uh, along with you, I attended GLS. You heard invest on leaders, invest on leaders. We want the changes. Le we need good leaders. And I hope you will accept that challenge. Consider supporting these young people in our seminar. They will be the future leaders like me. Look at this map. This next one. Look at this. is the state of Bihar. Bihar is south of Nepal. Look at this. It's uh, one of the unreached uh, uh, states of India. 2,000 plus unreached people groups, you heard it. This state, I forgot exactly, maybe 80 million or something population here. But that one, Gaya. Gaya is where the Buddha. Buddha got his enlightenment in that district. Gaya. Look at that district. 3 million people. Um, what is the population of Alaska? Eh? Look at that county, one county, one county, three million people, Christians, less than 1,500 percentage. Brothers and sisters, will you join with me to see people hear the gospel? We have no right to hear so many times when people never heard about the sweet name of our Savior. And look at... Uh, Next information. This is again I copied from from mission journals. Ninety percent of the mission money is used for the already evangelized world. You look at the money mission churches are giving; it goes to already evangelized area. Seventy thousand people die every day in the unreached world without Jesus. Of foreign mission funding, eighty percent goes for work among those already Christian whether administration or whatever. 12% of for work among already evangelized. 1% for work among the unevangelized, unreached, most unreached, restricted areas. I want your church to be a, a very strategic church and, uh, and helping the, uh, as a pioneer ministry and to reach out to the unreached. Look at some of these pictures. Kumbamela Festival. You see that you hear about India near the river Ganges once in 12 years. Every year they have a small one, but every, once in 12 years, millions and millions walk from all over India to take a dip in the holy river. And um, all these Indian gurus deceived by the devil. Next few pictures. Look at the uh, next one. Next. I want you to see. Look at. Children are begging all over India. One small kid is holding another kid, begging. But for the forgiveness of sin, they are pouring milk into the water. That 
you see that contrast and uh, praying to an unknown god the story of this woman every year kumbhamela takes place missionaries make a plan to go and distribute tracts and bible they cannot get into their compound but far away anybody coming towards and they can give a bible and uh, one time this missionary saw a woman coming from the crowd and to the road and she's beating her chest with her fist she was crying uncontrollably the missionary asked woman what's the problem she said my sin and guilt too much i had only one child six months old son i gave him to the river ganges threw him into the river ganges infanticide still takes place in india here and there and that time the missionary stopped and shared about the gospel you should not have done that jesus christ gave his life by his blood all our sins all our guilt are washed away you, sh- you should not have done that and uh, mission- that lady paused for a moment this is a famous story known she said then why didn't you come 30 minutes earlier why didn't you come 30 minutes early saji lucas can tell that story those missionaries even though i didn't like them they came they came they came they came changed my life my family today thousands and thousands and thousands will you passionately share the gospel with people that you know in your workplace here you, wherever you are starting in your own family mark mike two more few more minutes i will close it and uh, kingdom living you all know it you are, this is a good church i heard from uh, mike and uh, if you want to be a kingdom impacting person we must be willing to die for the sake of others jesus powerful statement this always i every time our missionary gathering in india i challenge that i read this passage my brothers and sisters if you want to make a difference in a hindu village we must take the risk we must take every pain we go through it joyfully we do it jesus said very truly i tell you unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed but if it dies it produces many seeds today in america we want to be, want to be comfortable we don't want to take the risk that's a danger in america what we, what is happening the decline we must take a risk if jesus is really really your savior if is really your lord if you really believe it you take the risk you are unafraid unashamed seeking back bartholomew mass seeking back i'm grateful every time when i share missionary story this man he arrived in india only 23 years old a lutheran missionary 17 1706 he arrived from from germany he went to trankubar tamil nadu he was often put in jail he extremely hot tanjavur south india he learned the language of the tamilians that man learned the language he made a dictionary the first translation in india the first bible translation tamil the tamil bible by the way ruben ruben and all family came because of this man's legacy listen second bag died when he was 36 years old he died in india 23 this young man from germany gave his life for the sake of indians but because of the weather various factors 
He emptied his life very early. 36, he died, giving the Tamil Bible to us. Ladies and gentlemen, are we willing to take the risk for the sake of our Savior? Generation to be blessed. Very, very truly, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Do you want to continue as a single seed? But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Are you willing to die? The one who died for you and me. For the sake of the kingdom in Alaska, in America, in the world. That's biblical Christianity. That's why we can't not be comfortable Sunday morning and give us little money. I'm, I'm a Christian. No. And uh, I challenge you to be a radical, uh, generous people, a community. And Acts chapter 2, 44, no one sacrificed like the early church. Verse 45 says, all the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possession and goods, and they gave it to anyone as he had need. I borrow the words of Rick Warren, American pastor, great man who did great things from through Saddleback Church. He said, the early church didn't just give their money. They were generous with everything they had. You could say they were radically generous. I pray and I know you are radically generous, what I hear from Mike. And may you continue to be radically generous so that you do to him, taking care of the least of these here in Anchorage, Alaska, and worldwide. And First Timothy 6, 17-19, very quickly reading, we must be rich in good deeds. And Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, you teach people in your church these things. Command the strong words he used. Command those who are rich. In the present world, not to be arrogant. Rich people are arrogant. If they are not really in Christ, they are arrogant because of the hard work they made of the money. Who are you to ask and all that thing? Who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, verse 19, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So ladies and gentlemen, we pray for revival. Dan, Dan Olson, the Gospel Coalition, he writes, today we pray for revival. But are we living lives of radical generosity in the same manner that our forebears, forebearers did? Put another way, is true revival stifled by our comfort and, and, and affluence? This is an American writer is asking. When I describe radical generosity, I am talking about joyfully giving all of one's time, talent, and treasure for the sake of God's kingdom and a heavenly reward without expecting any, any earthly return on investment. So gain all you can, save all you can, Give all you can. You heard about all this. So thank you for giving your precious time to come and, and just look at all of your face. And I want to see Holy Spirit move in the state of Alaska. Many become partners of, of the ministry of Remy. I want many of you to come. You can come. If you are a good teacher for women, I need a, uh, women's teachers. We do four women's conference every month. We're always looking for teachers. You don't need to be... Uh, super uh, preachers or teachers. 
Come and sit down with this hundred women in the villages. Love them. Open the word. Read it with them. Explain. Share your story. Lay hands upon them. Wash their feet. We are looking for people. English teachers who can come and help. Pastors who can come and help. So please come and join. So I shared with you three things. How to touch the least of these. The children are to risk. And um, the most unreached people never heard about the gospel. Will we give an opportunity? And uh, in order to do that, a kingdom living. I carry a day and night a dream to raise up 100,000 Christ-like leaders. 100,000. I am 57. Next to 20 years, I will be 77. God willing. And I'm praying that God will give 100,000 leaders. How do, you, how do I do? We have Bible school in every state of India. India has 29 states. We have a Bible school in every state. And we have the seminary in the middle of India. In addition to that, I'm looking for 1,000 pastors within our ministry, any other ministry within India, who will train 100 leaders next to 10 to 20 years. Small goal. 1,000 pastors will train 100 leaders. Take a 10, 5 in their local church. Take anybody because many people don't know the word of God. So from your church or from other churches, you can take 5 to 10 people. You train them. 12 subjects you teach in a year. Weekdays, one or two days, then whole Saturday. Two weeks, you finish a course. They will finish 12 subjects. They will get a certificate in ministry. Looking 100,000. 100, I want you to join with me in this dream. Not only praying, not only giving, coming to India. And uh, I shared with Mike. Mike said, Saji, share. Be free. To, be, take liberty to share. I want you to pray for uh, our youth conference. I am heading to India October 17th. First time we are bringing 600 youth of our ministry. They are scattered all over the country. We always did a pastor's conference. Our leaders, 2,000 come every year. But this time, 600 youth to understand, under 30. And I want to understand who are our young people. In studying in universities and colleges, slowly I can recognize and empower them, pass the baton to them. It's very strategic. How much it costs to bring them travel fare, two-way travel fare, feed them for three days, get all rent all the beds and everything fifty dollar per person so sixty six uh, six hundred coming that's thirty thousand dollars i want you to pray and ask god if anything you can please share with mike then uh, we every year we have been bringing two thousand our leaders and last 20 years we did it but now the board decided to do every other year but we are doing this year the first level leaders 300 coming it's a mainly a business meeting to evaluate our ministry 300 leaders that's fifteen, fifty thousand dollars. That's fifty dollars, three hundred. That's in fifteen thousand dollars. Another expense around twenty thousand dollars. So, so, and uh, I have two months to raise this money. This is uh, August, September, October, October 70, 70. The conference is the youth conference, October twenty fourth through twenty sixth, twenty seventh through thirtieth. The leadership consultation conference. So, I want you to pray once again. Love you. Thank you for giving the opportunity to come and share God's word and my heart. Thank you. Blessings.